0: My name is Jay Lasseter, and I am perhaps the most notorious ex-drug addict in all of New Jersey.
1: Number one, cancer doesn't make you the life of the party. Huh. Cancer doesn't have a 28-day rehab.
2: When somebody drinks, you know, puts five cups of sugar into their coffee, we don't question whether or not diabetes is a disease.
0: This is Heroin Uncut, the truth about the crisis, brought to you by NJ1015.com and made possible by Carrier Clinic. Welcome to Heroin Uncut, a podcast devoted to New Jersey's opiate crisis. I'm your host, Jay Lasseter, and I have a question for you to ponder. Is addiction to drugs a disease? How about alcohol dependence? It's an ongoing debate in the media, around kitchen tables, and online, especially as New Jersey's opiate crisis continues to spiral out of control. I know where I stand. I'm certain that addiction is indeed a disease. I say this as a former IV drug user, but also as someone who pays very close attention to the rapidly evolving science of addiction. I've seen the brain scans of drug addicts, and they are definitely diseased, which makes addiction very clearly a medical issue. As a former drug addict, my disease was very much self-inflicted, the result of bad behavior and poor judgment but still very, very much a disease. There's a common school of thought that calling addiction a disease is a cop-out, that it gives addicts more latitude to do the crappy things that they do to get by. And sometimes that's the case because there's always someone trying to game the system. But I want to be clear about this. Drug addicts who won't admit the role they played in their own misfortune, they will not succeed in recovery. You have to accept responsibility for your mistakes to be forgiven. But accepting responsibility when you're a drug addict in the throes of active addiction, that's not happening. That doesn't happen until after detox and rehab. For me personally, it was like six months before I was able to even assess the damage that I had done. When New Jersey 101.5's Judy Franco wrote a 12-step guide explaining why addiction is not a disease, it went viral. For weeks, it was trending. I thought it came off a little bit insensitive and a little bit snarky, but... Judy's one of my best friends here at New Jersey 101.5, and I know that if, say, I relapsed, for example, she'd be first in line with a hug and some tough love. Judy's my friend, and I'm glad she gave me the jumping-off point for this discussion. She says it's not a disease, and even though I disagree, it's a really important discussion to have, and we hashed it out on The Dennis and Judy Show.
3: Dennis and Judy Show, we have Jay Lasseter in the studio today, does a podcast on our website called Heroin Uncut. He's a former IV drug user and now... He tries to help people uh, who are addicted. <laughs> I, no, because you put a post up saying it's not yeah. a disease. And I agree with you. Should I give you some better.
1: of the reasons that I think it's not a disease? Sure, if you want. Number one, cancer doesn't make you the life of the party. <laughs>
3: no,
1: Cancer doesn't give you satisfaction. Cancer can't be eradicated with hard work and self-discipline. Uh, you can't point to the exact moment cancer started. Cancer doesn't have a 28-day rehab. After you recover from cancer, you're never tempted to slip back into it. You don't lose friends and family because you have cancer. I like and, number 10. Uh, Can- number 10. Cancer doesn't feel good. So No, definitely. These are, these, so I used cancer as the quintessential disease that we should feel bad for people for having. And the reason that people don't feel bad for people who are drug addicts is all of the above. Yeah. Are we doing an hour where people... Agree or disagree that it's a disease? Is that what yeah, we're going to do? Yeah. We have Ken in Brick. High, you're on New Jersey 101.5.
3: Hey, how you doing today? Good. How are you, Ken?
2: I'm all right. I'm just disgusted to hear when I hear Jay. Is that your name, Jay? Yeah. Talk yep. about how this is a disease. I Just like you said before, Dennis, about somebody's a diabetic, that's a disease. You injected yourself with heroin or people who inject themselves with heroin get all these free benefits for... Free benefit, you know, free things for life—not for life, but just to get better. And meanwhile, my mom spends millions, thousands of dollars a year on her insulin. And when she can't get a, she can't get help with that. Uh, it cracks. It, it just baffles me.
0: So <laughs> we look at Jay. That, yes.
2: Yeah. So answer
3: that, Jay.
0: <laughs> it's not an uncommon sentiment, really. It's not. You know, I've been dealing with people who feel. Most people, I think, feel that way to a certain degree. And I feel badly that his mother has to pay four hundred dollars a month for her insulin. I'm not sure that has anything to do with, you know, whether or not addiction is a disease. But I guess But do
3: drug addicts get free treatment is what I guess.
0: Well, drug addicts don't usually have a job. Drug addicts are usually on Medicaid. When I went to rehab, Hmm. it was you know who paid for it? Who? American taxpayers. And I think You were on Medicaid. Yes, I was, because most people who are that addicted to drugs don't have, you know, blue cross blue shields. So when I went into rehab on Medicaid, that was an investment That this country made in me, Dennis, if you know how much I paid in property taxes, you know that I have paid that back already. But these are the outcomes that we're looking for. We want to get people off of drugs. We want to get them into rehab. We're usually going to have to pay it because that's just, I mean, think about it. They don't have insurance. And then we get them into society and we get them contributing again, like I do. A lot of people share Judy's view that calling it a disease is a cop out. Not all calls went like that. Others were more open to treating addiction medically, like a disease. Steve
3: on the Garden State
0: Parkway. Hi, Steve.
2: Hey, how you guys doing? Hey, I just Steve. to call and uh, applaud Jay for being willing to come in front of this audience. It's easy to tell your story in front of an audience where you expect empathy. Um, we are largely a conservative uh, listening audience, so it probably isn't safe to assume there's going to be a lot of empathy here. So I just want to give him credit for being willing to come out here and and do that because it's a, it's a one of a courageous thing. And also, uh, um, you guys were actually just talking about the whole addiction thing. So many of us make bad choices that impact our health. You know, there's an obesity ep- epidemic in this country. It's not as if we don't know all that sugar and all those carbs are bad for us, yet bakeries aren't going out of business.
3: So, mm. you know, we probably should uh, have a little empathy.
0: Drug addicts almost never deserve our empathy, they have not earned our kindness. But they'll need both, our empathy and our kindness, to get sobered up sufficiently so they can start accepting responsibility for their atrocious behavior. And especially because in many cases, there's a genetic component to addiction.
3: There's something, though, in in, in certain people where you have a proclivity to be addicted. And maybe if you can do a screening or a test and find out, okay, you don't have that gene, you don't have that blood level that makes get you addicted because i you can give me all the drugs you want to give me ain't no way i'm getting addicted because right. i just don't like them and my body rejects them at using
0: them so well, well dennis, I, dennis you obviously have the tools to do things in moderation and to not get addicted not not everybody is that my, does. Is that my chemistry is that my makeup that i was born with i don't know per- perhaps you know when i think about like addiction being genetic you know i have addiction in my family but right. i also have people who aren't addicted to my family. Right. So in a way, I've kind of got them both in my DNA. And 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 I became <clears throat> addicted because I just didn't have the tools to deal with reality. I didn't have the tools to deal with my bad choices. And when I had my kind of come-to-Jesus moment, and I was really lucky because rehab was free for me, um, and I made the most of it because I was constantly reminded, look, you're in here on taxpayer dime. You have got to make this campaign. You were reminded of that? Who told you that? My drug counselor. He said, these places are disappearing. It was right when we were going to war with Iraq and like we had a new president and there just wasn't the kind of money for these like multiple trips to rehab. And they said, look, when you get out of here and you're a contributing member of society and you will be a taxpayer and you want people to not be repeat offenders as well. Good thing he told you that.
3: You eat at night, Judy. You get cravings at night, right? Yes. And it's such an overwhelming craving to have some cheese at nine o'clock at yeah. night. Right. But, you know, or plus have I some was ice a street. smoker. And we so were smoking. Really, so really... I really but you, you, you have to resist those urges. we all resist urges. What's different with a, a
0: heroin addict? Well, heroin is incredibly addictive. It's, fit once you get it physically, but poor choices have led you to the heroin. There's no doubt about that. And I think it's important for me to reiterate that because look, this is a disease that was created by my bad judgment. And the disease needed to be addressed in a medical setting before my brain could be right enough for me to be in a position to accept responsibility. Now, if I hadn't accepted responsibility for my role in my own misfortune, I wouldn't be sitting here today. Right. right. But I also believe that like my inability to quite literally control myself i mean it's really hard to explain to somebody when it's like how on earth could you put a needle in your arm and it's like i i, I we
3: both smoke so we kind of i understand,
1: understand weakness that. i definitely do yeah. i've had it my listen for how long now my ch- i'm addicted to this but 10 years cigarette mm. and i won't <laughs> you stop you got anymore no <laughs> I get it. I get it. And I don't think this is such a great choice. This is a discussion you know?
0: that we need to have. And that was why when my father said, why don't you talk more about this disease myth and that you need to accept responsibility. And you and I had chatted about this earlier yeah. off off air. And I said, dad, that is so great because you had written that, that article and, and I wanted to talk to you about it because this is a discussion that we need to air. Look, you're not in a minority, Judy. People who think it's not a disease, they're not, it's not rare. But I if think you, the, the also, great
3: comparison is, yeah. though, if you get lung cancer because you smoked, you brought on a disease from your poor choice. Yep. If you have type 2 diabetes because you ate all the wrong food, you now have a disease that you brought on yes. by poor choices. So that's a perfect way to look at this.
0: And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from the sponsor for Heroin Uncut, Carrier Clinic. We'll be right back. New Jersey 101.5's exclusive series, Heroin Uncut
3: is made possible in part by Carrier Clinic. Those suffering with mental illness or addiction need care. New Jersey's Carrier Clinic offers compassionate care, redefining behavioral health care with holistic approaches beyond medicine. When it's time to think about behavioral health
0: care, think Carrier. Learn more at CarrierClinic.org. Up next is an expert on the rapidly evolving brain science behind opiate dependency.
4: Hi, I'm uh, Donald Parker. I'm the president and CEO of Carrier Clinic. Um, we're here uh, at the hospital, uh, which is located in Belmead, New Jersey. Don provided some historical
0: perspective on the disease of addiction and how it's been viewed over time. Back in the 1800s, addiction and mental health were viewed much more sympathetically. And even though treatment in those days was fairly gruesome, thank lobotomies, it was the very best science available at the time.
4: And uh, along comes in the 1900s, early 1900s, Prohibition. And Prohibition introduces a whole variety of moral issues into the, uh, especially the substance abuse area. And all of a sudden we're off on a path where uh, the disease state is gone and we're over to the point where it's willfulness. And th- and that era lasts for a long period of time. Well, ob- obviously beyond the point of prohibition's uh, ending. Uh, and it- during that time period, As we began to ascribe more and more volitional behavior to people, uh, we lost the science uh, and very little progress in treatment. Uh, The biggest uh, innovation at the time was AA and NA.
0: The moral component is really, really important. And our tendency to view addiction as some kind of a moral failing, like some weakness, that's really gonna inhibit our ability to
4: turn the corner on New Jersey's opiate crisis. And the war on drugs proves it. During the Reagan administration, Nancy Reagan comes up with a dollop uh, on top of the willfulness uh, argument is that just say no is a solution to substance abuse. It's not. uh, It never will be. Uh, It is part of a solution, but it is not the solution. Today, uh, with the advent of new scientific approaches to dealing with substance abuse, again, back to the advances in medication, whether it's Vivitrol or Suboxone or, or uh, other types of medications that are designed to reduce uh, the impact of detoxification and to assist in, in uh, abstinence, uh, you, you begin to understand that behind each one of those medications, behind the new types of stimulation we're using, there's science. We've gained insight into the sections of the brain that are particularly impacted. Uh, when you're talking about substance abuse, the area of the brain that we found the most impact is the hypothalamus. Hypothalamus has multiple functions, it releases, wh- helps to release hormones throughout your system, but it really is uh, important for sleep, for concentration, and for the experience of endorphins. And if you think about the drug culture, all three of those issues are major symptoms of addiction. Not being able to concentrate, not being able to sleep, not being able to enjoy life and feel pleasure other than when you have the drug in your system. Uh, So the hypothalamus actually atrophies. It's not unlike a muscle in your system. So if you have a broken leg and you have it casted for a period of time, it's likely that that leg is not going to be highly functional when you're done. You need rehabilitation, PT, a variety of different things to get it back to uh, its uh, optimal uh, function again. Uh, We are using a variety of techniques, including electrical stimulation, uh, to get the hypothalamus back into order again so that it can assist you in the detox process in a more natural fashion.
0: Detoxing is hard, even for someone with lots of advantages going their way. And no one knows that better than our next guest. Former Governor Jim McGreevy, who is a good person to wrap up with because he covers all the bases. Brain science, accepting responsibility, and then, yes, it's definitely a disease. Since you left office, you have devoted your life primarily to helping uh, people
2: out of prison stay out of prison, and people coming off of drugs stay off of drugs. We lost seven lives in the last four weeks to overdose deaths of our clients. So when you, when you know those clients, I know those families and go to those wakes or funeral services. This is someone's son or daughter or brother, and it, it's, it's real. It's, it's flesh and blood. We have to understand what's happening with fentanyl. It's so devastating in the impact that it's having all across our state in terms of its potency and its destruction that this is not going to be turned around because somebody wills themselves, that they need to understand the importance of having medication-assisted treatment so that literally the medication covers their neural receptors so that they can't attach to the opium.
0: Medical-assisted therapy has been around for ages. You've heard of methadone, which is used to wean people off of heroin, but that's controversial for many people who see that as swapping one addiction for the other. Now, there's a medicine called Vivitrol that actually blocks the opiate receptors on the brain. It makes it impossible to get high, and for many people, it's a lifesaver, and it comes without all the judgments that are associated with methadone treatment.
2: If you look at cancer and somebody smokes, 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 and they develop lung cancer, Nobody says that that lung cancer is a product of behavioral patterns when in fact smoking may have contributed. When somebody drinks, you know, puts five cups of sugar into their coffee and contributes to their diabetes and they contract diabetes, we don't question whether or not diabetes is a disease. The same way we don't treat or address cancer, we don't question whether or not that's a disease. And so my point is, yes, we make behavioral decisions every day. What we ate for lunch whether we did any exercise, you know, the air we breathe and and how we interact with our environment. And the person who first puts a needle in his or her arm, yes, made a decision. And I would argue made a very bad decision. But the point is here is that particularly, you know, we're a long way from the drug culture, frankly, of the 70s in this battle with fentanyl. And the fentanyl is so much more powerful. And Jay... It's destroying, it's literally, we've had conversations with neurologists as well as pediatric neurologists who talk about the brain's passageways. The neural passageways in the, in the mind literally changes, is altered by virtue of the fentanyl. So we have to understand that the person who has regular use of the fentanyl over the course of six months, is not the same person at the end of that six months as he or she was at the beginning, in terms of the physiological reaction to the fentanyl, in terms of their neurological development. And so, yes, we all make bad decisions. You can make bad decisions in terms of alcohol. You can make bad decisions in terms of smoking. You can make bad decisions in what you eat. But that doesn't mean we as a society, as a community, as a country, as a state, just say, all right, go to hell You made a pattern of bad decisions. And the reality, the sad reality is, for a long time, we were really comfortable doing that with addiction. The answer isn't a jail cell. The answer isn't a prison cell. That's not going to solve the problem. It's treatment. It's medication-assisted treatment. It's making sure people take their antipsychotic drugs. It's making sure we help people address their hepatitis C, their HIV, their diabetes, to make these people healthy, contributing citizens in the community.
0: So somebody starts out using drugs, not necessarily because they have a disease, but by the time they're addicted, their brain is definitely, I mean, we look at brain scanning and their, their brains are certainly diseased.
2: The point is, is a lot of young people tragically look to drugs to anesthetize themselves and particularly people that are in the criminal justice system to get through a rough day, to get through a day, whether it's in prison or wherever. And so people think that you know it's all that people take drugs simply because of recreational use. I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing pleasant. There's nothing pleasant about fentanyl and heroin and the vomiting and the puking and the shakes and the disease ridden, and particularly what it does in terms of hepatitis C and the fibrosis or HIV or diabetes. And so we need to understand that the drug addiction Not only has a damaging impact in terms of the cognitive ability of the mind and the brain chemistry, but it also has an interrelation with other diseases. And so that we need to focus on getting this right. Then he hit on the most practical reason why we classify addiction.
0: As a disease,
2: this is a disease not only to qualify for insurance dollars, which is critically necessary. Because next time you don't classify as a disease, the insurance companies are going to be paying because they're contributors. I mean, I I have got great respect for many of the insurance companies we work with closely, but they're not the little sisters of the poor. Right. This isn't a volunteer organization. This isn't you know. This is a business, and so unless it's classified as a disease with a certain amount of dollars for reimbursement, it's not happening. But we also have to understand that the addiction addiction itself, the disease of addiction also has a concurrent impact on other diseases, both medical diseases behavioral impact, and the overall overall well-being of the person. And so when we classify this as a disease, we have to look at the medical component, we have to look at the psychiatric component, and we have to look at the behavioral, particularly in terms of antipsychotic medication. 40% of our patients, 40% of our clients coming out of prison have mental illness. 75% have addiction problems. So that means... There's a significant overlap between mental health issues and addiction issues. But we're getting them jobs. But it's not going to last unless they have the medical means necessary to stay whole. I remember when I was in rehab thinking
0: that classifying this disease robbed me of the ability in a certain extent to sort of accept my resp- my role the responsibility that i played in my own addiction because there was a lot of bad judgment and i feel like i needed to acknowledge what i had done to myself physically how i had diseased myself but also you know look it was it was it was a lot of bad choices that i made not under duress so 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 the idea that classifying it as a disease might somehow rob addicts of the ability to accept responsibility for what they've done
2: I think that's a entirely too Catholic of an ocean. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, you know, it's like we all want to suffer. No, you know, look at, you know, did you make bad decisions? Yes, you made bad decisions. Did that mean in perpetuity Jay or any addict should be condemned for the second, the third, the fourth needle in their arm? The loss of the judgment, the inability to access health care, the loss of housing, um, the inability to access behavioral health care or drugs or Life-saving treatment for any number of ancillary, you know, diseases. No, and you know, just like yes, we're. I I I don't believe in enabling. I push back on parents who don't get their young sons or daughters contributory negligence. Who the young person who doesn't want to accept responsibility. I push back on that really hard. Um, I mean, we've got a tough, rigorous program. It's all about responsibility. It's all about owning up and, and, and taking responsibility. That being said, without resources, without pharmaceutical products, without detox, without treatment, that young person isn't doing it on their own on a concrete floor next to a fountain in downtown Patterson. It's not happening. I think this is a disease. Yes, there have been bad choices, but you know I believe we all make bad choices, and that's why I believe in redemption. But the point being here is you can't get healthy without medical and healthcare assistance. You can't get whole. Without that support,
0: a detox bed, a treatment facility, a psychiatrist to oversee antipsychotic drugs, and a nurse practitioner to oversee medical assisted therapy, a dentist to fix their rotten teeth. And on a much more practical level, you're gonna need somebody to clean up all that puke that's associated with detoxing. Someone addicted to opiates needs a lot of medical care because they're sick with a disease brought on by their own bad judgment. All that medical care, it's a lot to ask, especially since hardcore drug addicts are not exactly the most sympathetic people in the world. You know, you lie, you steal, you steal some more. When you're a drug addict, you do a lot of awful things in service to your addiction. They do not deserve our grace. I know I sure didn't. And I guess that's the rub, really, when it comes to New Jersey's approach to our opiate crisis. Waiting for drug addicts to be logical or sensible or responsible, that's folly. Yet, that's the expectation in many cases. But if we're hoping for a heroin addict to suddenly wake up and accept responsibility, it's going to be a long wait. An ounce of prevention is worth a thousand trips to rehab, like we've been saying this whole time. But that's the long game. The disease classification is useful, helping to diminish the stigma associated with opiate dependency. And in a world devoid of compassion and kindness, a little bit of both goes a long way. That's all for now. I'm Jay Lasseter. This has been Heroin Uncut, presented by NJ1015.com and sponsored by our friends at the Carrier Clinic. Please subscribe to the Heroin Uncut podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or at the NJ1015.com. App. until next time please let us know what you think we're on twitter and facebook at heroin uncut and i hope you'll head over there now and let us know what's on your mind
1: what is behavioral health care uh help with their emotional and mental health i've heard of it but i don't know Carrier Clinic thinks differently about behavioral health care, applying new scientific advances to treat mental
0: illness and addiction, replacing routine care programs with alternative treatments and new measurable levels of compassionate care, leading to better patient outcomes. For the best in behavioral health care, think Carrier. For more information, visit CarrierClinic.org.